I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief of Business in Vancouver. Today's podcast is part four in a series of four, examining the intricacies and challenges of buying and selling a business. Today's is part two about selling a business. It's part of our Business Excellence series, and it's sponsored by the law firm of Richards Well Sutton and the financial services firm Roynet Capital. My guests are experienced and expert in the complex terrain of selling a business, and I think the next 20 minutes or so will be a valuable education for you. David Harvey is a member of the Business Law and Employment and Human Rights Practices Group at the law firm Richards Well Sutton. His primary focus includes mergers and acquisitions. Derek Strong is the Regional Director at Roynat Capital, a prominent financial services firm that arranges capital for transactions in this space. Jason Bryce is a business broker with his own firm, found at jasonbryce.com online, with well more than 100 such experiences in buying and selling. And Arturo Cobb is a business broker and franchise consultant at Murphy Business Brokers, which deals with buying and selling business. Let's join the conversation. And Derek, then, uh, does that... Uh dictate a little bit about the kind of advice you're going to need to enlist, given that you you maybe can't furnish your team with all of the information early on in the process, you only a little bit later when you're, you're, you're getting to more of a certain phase of this? Yeah, I think having the right M&A and legal advice is really important through that process. Um, but, but, you know, to do a proper sale of your business, you are going to have to tell your senior management team what's going on and, and other shareholders. Like, you know, working from the side of a buyer, like if I was looking to buy a business or finance the purchase of a business and, and there were people, owners, who didn't know the business was going to be sold and they're going to be left in a minority position, those are not very good deals to do. So I, I don't really see situations where, you know, there's shareholders that don't know a sale is going on. Those are usually not great situations for buyers. Uh, and then management team, definitely your executives. Like the process for selling the business is, you know, I mean, you can go through a process of having uh, numerous groups, you know, go through the business and get management tours and they sit down with management and learn about the business before you get to a purchase agreement, right? So I don't know how you can probably sell a business without your management team, this, you know, your executive management team quite involved in the process. So you got to be upfront and honest. That doesn't mean everybody in your company needs to know, but the certainly the people that are key to the business. Like again, as a buyer, if I don't get to meet the management team and talk to them and try and understand their psyche, I'm not going to probably move ahead to purchase that business until I've had those discussions. Yeah. But Jason, that that sounds like a very discreet process. You you really can't, you know, show up with uh, you know the. The, the company truck at uh, the front in the front gate and uh, walk in with six other people and and uh, you know go into a room somewhere with with one of the executives how do you how do you manage that and what what counsel do you give buyers when uh, and primarily and sellers when uh, when they're they're having to bring people a little bit into their tent yeah try and uh, dive into that before we even take it to market so that I'm able to say to my seller hey, listen, these two or three positions, whoever buys this, they're going to have to meet that person. Uh, sometimes it can be none. I've sold businesses where it just will be a smooth transition. There's a diverse management team. It's a smaller company, maybe 30, 40 employees. Um, sometimes the buyers won't need to, to speak to those uh, employees. But if it's a little bit larger company, then, then we try and figure out before we even take it to market so that that expectation set there. And then a lot of times it is, it's doing the meetings after hours. That's very common so that we're not coming in 
and that we're also only bringing in those prospective buyers when they're very far down. So they've got the letter of intent, they've done their due diligence, the accountants ripped it apart, they're still going, they've got their lawyer, we've got a purchase agreement, and it's kind of the last few conditions proceeding to be removed, then they get to meet that uh, management team and make sure they can get along with them. But I try to, to deal with that before we even take it to market. Mm -hmm. Arturo? Well, I don't want to sound repetitive, but yeah, I mean, it's a balance, right? I mean, the, the seller doesn't want to, to introduce a possible buyer to employees before things are, <laughs> are way ahead and, and or, or because the deal can go sour, but the buyer will go get the deal done if probably he's not sure or positive that the, that the management team is going to stay, right? So it's a balance. And generally what we advise is that it has to be done, but it should be done when the process is, is, is ahead. I mean, there's when we are close to, to the final stage of the, of the process. Jason, let me start with you then. Let's stay on the topic of how it is that you're, you're getting this through the system uh, with the management team. Should you as the, as the vendor, as the person on top, also be trying to negotiate um, a bit of either reward, uh, reward for the senior management team, or even some compensation to keep them in place once the sale goes through? Yeah, once again, tricky. I've seen, I've seen everything. A lot of times what will happen is um, if, it's, if we're closing a deal in, say, October or November, one of the things that gets negotiated is that their annual bonus gets, gets delayed until the usual Christmas time so that it looks like it's a bonus from the new owner. And that keeps some employee goodwill. So we've done it that way. Uh, other times the, the seller wants to, you know, particularly if they've had employees for 30 years, uh, want to know that, that they're giving them a, you know, a nice big golden egg on the way out. So uh, that'll, that'll be depending on the seller and depending on the buyer. Uh, so once again, not to kind of waffle on, on every one of these answers, but um, <laughs> no, it's case by case basis, yeah. case it's, by case. It's really important to know the range. Arturo, what, what do you do? Do you, do you counsel people to try to look after the people who will be left in place after you've gone as a vendor or, or do you just leave that alone? Is it just none of your business? Um, I would probably, uh, when I've had the situation, probably would try to, to, to to have it so the buyer, well, quote unquote, looks good and 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 promote and to, to give something to the staff so so they start in the right track in the right direction. Let's see, okay. So, but of course, I mean, and I do think that any most of sellers would would agree on that because they they do they know that that's key for the deal to to happen, right? That that the staff, uh, I mean. Is happy and they stay, and so I, I think they would, they would support that. So, so David, uh, not all of these uh, transactions are going to furnish a lot of goodwill at times. I mean, you may have a company that uh, is very clearly uh, overstaffed, uh, where there might have to be some really difficult things done. Um, again, there's a psychology at play here, and probably one size doesn't fit all in this case, but what kind of counsel do you generally lend to the to the vendor to the, uh, the 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 vendor in this case about what kind of cleanup needs to take place before uh, before the the deal is done? Yeah, this is always going to be 
you know, uh, part of extensive negotiations between the parties. Uh, it's always, it could be just because there's a huge financial component to, to getting rid of staff, as well as the emotional com component there. Um, if possible, just touching on the, the previous uh, question, you know, if possible, I try not to have my, my vendor clients make any changes to the employment terms before closing. Um, there's nothing worse for a buyer than to look and see that uh, everyone's just gotten a, a huge raise and then they're the ones inheriting it. Right. A huge red flag for me. Um, and uh, the other consideration with, uh, with the employees is it is better for the buyer to be able to be the one giving that, uh, that raise or that incentive after closing or, or line it up with closing. It gives the buyer the opportunity to also change the terms of the employment that they want to or implement employment agreements. Uh, if there are none, which can also be a, a risk factor. Um, so there's benefits there for the buyer if they're the ones that can control that process. Yeah. Um, Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to touch on the, the other component regarding the goodwill and, and you know, terminating staff. Yeah, you know, it's a really tricky situation. Uh, you know, if you don't have employment agreement, employment agreements in place, the severance obligations can be significant for employees. Um, so it can be a huge uh, financial price tag for for the vendor or for the the buyer to to have to terminate staff, whether before closing or after. Um, sometimes it does happen where there are you know there, there's too much bloat and the vendors have to clean up a little bit beforehand. Uh, usually, you try to fall back on you know what what would be kind of uh, what would be market, what would be the standard required for, for another business of a similar nature and try to use that as whether or not it's the purchaser's responsibility or the vendor's. But it's a tricky situation. A lot of, a lot of negotiation involved there. Yeah. Uh, Derek, uh, pick up on that, uh, the tricky part of this, because, uh, I mean, if, if you want to do your, uh, your buyer a favor, you've obviously uh, the sharpest possible way to have your company be efficient is, uh, is at times to, to, go in and, and cut some costs, uh, you know, in advance of this. Um, where do you, where do you fall down on this one? Yeah. I mean, I would say a vendor, if you want to maximize the value of your business, you've already gotten rid of the problems in your business. You shouldn't be selling a business with problems and staff issues, you name it. Um, you know, a redundant employees, uh, that's not an issue for the vendor the purchaser to deal with. That's really for the vendor. I would say it also depends as a seller. You really have to think about what is your goal for your business and how important are the staff for your business? Because, and then look at who your buyer is. Because if your buyer is a strategic buyer, meaning maybe your competitor, and they can just basically eliminate your, they're just buying your customer list and they're going to let everybody go. I mean, you you as a seller, I have to realize that's going to happen to your staff. And and is that really the route you want to go through? Or maybe you want to sell to a financial buyer where they're not going to let everybody go, right? So so really what happens to your staff and, and all those things could potentially, you know, is really a reflection to a great extent of the type of person in the company or company that's buying your business. Yeah. I don't know Jason, if that answers your question. No, Jason, uh, it's a good point to pick up on. Where, what do you think a seller's obligations extend out to? You know, I'll, I'll sort of even go broader than that. Of, of when when sellers are selling, they, they can have a lot of fear that that people are going to leave or that there's going to be this chaos too, uh, or that people will find out the business is for sale in the process and then all their employees will quit. 
That very rarely happens. There are absolutely, we've got a lawyer on here, so he'll tell you there's absolutely nightmare scenarios um, where, where, where it can go bad and it can go really bad. But if I've sold 100 businesses, 95 of them, every single employee has stayed. People found out in somewhere along the process, nobody left, nobody cared, nobody quit. So as much as it can be an issue that, that can explode, for the most part, it's not something that that blows up all that often. Yeah, but with the key people that you have, who may have unique talents, and and you don't want to see them go, do you do you put you know some golden handcuffs on them? Can yeah, absolutely. Uh, sometimes there can be a little bit of money uh, held back, so or the the vendor financing can be tied to some sort of performance threshold or. A, a certain number of employees quit. So if there's 10% of the purchase price held back and you lose any of the key employees in that first 12 months, then, then the purchaser doesn't have to, to follow with that vendor payment. Um, that can get built into a deal too. So everything can be negotiated. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's end with uh, a look at uh, what are the most common surprises along the way in selling a business. Arturo, Help me with this one to start. Surprises in selling your business. <laughs> okay. Well, um, one that is sometimes common is, well, the, the, the buyer didn't get the money, right? I mean, everything was <laughs> looked perfect, looked good, a perfect buyer, agreed on the price, and at the very end, well, I don't have the funds. So I mean that that's probably one of the most disappointing ones from 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 seller standpoint. That, that proves to be a waste of time, um, yeah. Jason. Yeah, I think uh, that you know we talked earlier about how long it can take to sell this. One of the biggest surprises is how the valuation of the business can change uh, in that time. So that, you know we could we could be steady revenue for three years. I do valuation on January first for a million dollars. And, you know, six months later, revenues declined a bit. If a couple things have gone, a couple competitors came into town or whatnot, and all of a sudden the business is worth 70% of that. Um, that's the biggest surprise that I see tanking deals is, is that not only, you know, well, just that's it. It just, it can be a, a big decline in valuation over the time of selling. Yes. Derek? I would say, you know, for the seller, of business is, you know, it's, it's really the devil is in the deep. Oh, Derek, we've lost your sound. Oh, sorry. Hello, can you hear me? Uh, yeah, you're still a little fuzzy there. Just, so, um, just. Can you hear me? If I've asked you the question again on surprises and then start, just start, we'll edit it in. So go ahead anytime. Yeah, no, that's uh, okay. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it really, you know, for surprises when I'm looking at the vendor, it's really the devil is in the details about what you're selling your business for. And, you know, people say, well, I got, you know, $20 million for my business, but in reality, so did you get that all cash up front um, or is that all payment in kind? I mean, I've seen situations where somebody will sell their business and they're carrying all the financing for the purchaser. So they really haven't sold the business. 
you know, it's really, you know, they can't walk into the sunset. And in a lot of respects, those type of deals that people have had to come back and operate their business because they don't get paid. So I would say the surprises to me is when people sell their business and they don't take material cash out at close. There's no reason in today's world with the type of financing that's available that you as a vendor shouldn't be able to take material cash out of your business at close unless your business isn't performing, isn't profitable. David? Yeah, we've already uh, touched on a lot of the kind of key things, uh, you know, key employees taking off. Uh, I think Jason mentioned a competing business coming into town and changing the revenues. Um, you know, vendors being surprised that they have to stick around. Those are all usually a, a bit of a surprise to uh, to some vendors out there. Um, I don't know if I have anything else to add off the top of my head. Uh, no, that's good. Those are all really good points. Listen, uh, the four of you have been great in uh, this two-part conversation that we've had on buying and selling a business. I want to thank you all for your time. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. David Harvey is a member of the Business Law and Employment and Human Rights Practices Group at the law firm Richard Boyle Sutton. His primary focus includes mergers and acquisitions. Derek Strong is the Regional Director at Roynat Capital prominent financial services firm that arranges capital for transactions in this space. Jason Bryce is a business broker with his own firm, founded jasonbryce.com online with well more than 100 such experiences in buying and selling. And Arturo Kalb is a business broker and franchise consultant at Murphy Business Broker, which deals with buying and selling businesses. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief at Business in Vancouver. Thanks for watching our Business Excellence series. That was part four of our conversation on buying and selling a business. I hope you've enjoyed it. All of the series can be found at BIV.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief of Business of Vancouver. Thanks for joining us.